Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. The Hamilton Community Foundation has come out with the uh, Vital Signs Report, uh, their annual Vital Signs Report. It's been released, and uh, it shows that there is uh, increasing hospitalizations for mental health and substance abuse. There's some, some good news in here, some encouraging news in this, but some very troubling statistics uh, that we want to delve into in the next little while. Joining us to talk about this is, uh, of course, uh, Terry Cook from the Hamilton Community Foundation. Mr. Cook, good to see you again. Hey, Bill. Nice to see you. you, you, you this is election time. You, you, you're the sort of guy that's always knocking on doors. It's, it's really cruel and unusual that in this new role I'm not able to participate, but yeah, uh, hey, that's good. We can sit behind you, the you glass can, and you can still you're in second the stand, in the stands watching. And uh, our good friend Dr. Elizabeth Richardson, the uh, medical officer of health here for the city of Hamilton. Good to see you again, Doctor. Good morning, Bill. Good to see you too. As you looked at these stats, let me start with you on this. Uh, the thing that jumps out at me here is mental health and psychiatric issues, the fourth leading cause of hospitalizations in Hamilton. Uh, what what story does that tell you? Well, you know, we've got some really talented people who work with us who play with these numbers and put things together. And when they look at it and looked at both, you know, causes of death and looked at causes of illness, you can see two particular issues coming out at, of the data. And that's showing that uh, unintentional injury. So we're talking about overdoses from drugs and uh, opioids, all sorts of different uh, drugs are in that category, as well as self-harm amongst our youngest uh, members of our society, particularly young women, are two of the biggest issues that we're facing here today. And, and we've heard about these anecdotally, Terry, over the number of years. We know about uh, about teen suicides tragically, and we know about stress and, and some of the things that teens are dealing with right now. Uh, this is, is really kind of a verification of what we thought was an ongoing problem here. Yeah, and frankly, those of us who have teenagers and who listen to the stories that come home from schools and we're living through a particularly tragic and awful week in Hamilton on that front are, I think, mindful of, of the prevalence of mental illness and addiction, particularly in its impacts on our young people and their future. So it is very much a signal that we need to pay attention to this and, and find ways to, to intervene and support early and often. Doctor, when we see numbers like this, and, and I don't know if it's justifiable to call this a spike, but there, there's an, a, a very concerning increase here. Uh, is it because it's more prevalent or is it being diagnosed now where it wasn't before? Well, it's also a good question. And we think it's a little bit of both. That certainly as we become more willing to talk about mental illness, when we talk more about uh, substance use and addiction and the realities that these are chronic diseases that p affect people's lives in the long term, we know that people are coming forward more. We know that people are getting diagnosed more. But there's no doubt in my mind that this is also an increasing in rates. And so we see this across the board, whether we're talking about anxiety, we're talking about mood disorders like depression, we're talking about about self-harm, as we've talked about when we're talking about overdoses and drugs, uh, drug hospitalizations and those sorts of things, we're definitely seeing increases in those as well. What about support services? I, I mean, this, this is a great report to give you a foundation to say, here's what we need to do going forward. This is, and this is going to be an important tool to, to be able to develop those uh, support services. So <clears throat> when we're talking about service, absolutely. And, you know, we've d talked already this morning about uh, what happened up in uh, in the high school and uh, on the mountain, and we have seen, you know, significant issues. We've really got a crisis on our hands when it comes to mental health, particularly amongst self-harming kids, particularly amongst uh, in terms of drug use and opioids and those sorts of things. And so we need to respond to that. We need services that respond to those issues, absolutely. So whether it's care in the community or it's hospital beds or it's eMERGE care, it's working better. And this is where actually the Hamilton Health Team, which mm -hmm. is part of the Ontario Health Team application, comes in. They too have identified mental health amongst adults and children 
children as a priority? And how can we work better, be more integrated, more coordinate, coordinated in our care? We also, though, need to look upstream. There's some serious signals that have been going on now for several years about concerns here. When we're looking at, there's an instrument we use to uh, look at development of kids and see how ready they are for school. And we've seen that we have 31% of our kids are vulnerable and that on the social emotional scale, that's increased over the last year or the last survey. We also have seen these increasing rates of, of drug use. These all talk about, you know, what's going on in our society. What's the context behind them that's preventing us from helping kids to develop resilience, from helping them to develop the emotional skills to have good, positive, healthy relationships, to be able to cope? And what are we doing as a society in terms of making it a healthy place to uh, live and grow? How do you, how do you drill down and, and, and find some of the root causes? I mean, this, this paints a picture right now, and and, it, and that's concerning in and of itself. But obviously, as you say, to find the solutions, we got to get down to the, the root causes. Absolutely. And there's there's really good research out there about those root co- causes. We know a lot of this is about the cycle of poverty. We know that things like housing, income, Absolutely. those things, poverty affects mental health. And then, of course, poor mental health affects your ability to get through school, your ability to earn income, get a good job, all of those sorts of things. So there's definitely a cycle that's ongoing there that we need to intervene in. We also need to look at what else we know about growing up. And we know that things that are traumatic in people's lives, especially when they're young kids, if we don't get in there and help people to understand how to manage those things, how to cope with them, mitigate um, issues that go on, that they are too going to have these significant problems as we as we move forward. So there's really good work that's going on. We're fortunate to have a wonderfully integrated and coordinated early years group that has been working on this now for 20 years and looking at how we can help kids get off to a good start and support parents parents in that. Terry, I want to get you to explain exactly the role of the Hamilton Community Foundation in this. Uh, and, and this, this, I, is, this I, is only I will, one but, report. But can I yeah, just in, segue because um, Elizabeth has identified something uh, that also is spoken to in the report, which is we've talked about young people. There's also a piece in there about millennials and precarious work and, yeah. and the, the extent to which that affects mental health and well-being. And, and I think we need to pay attention to these non-medical issues that Dr. Richardson has identified. The need for stable, dignified, decent housing, the importance of universal basic income, uh, the need to provide uh, supports to people that, that would go well beyond what you would see at the emergency ward. I mean, this is stuff that, that really matters to the well-being of people across the age spe- spectrum and across all of our geography. Well, and we've all heard stories from the people that are in that in that precarious situation. Yeah. You know, you're not sure you're on a contract, so you're not sure if you're going to have a job next year. You probably don't have benefits. How are you going to do that? What mm-hmm. if your child gets sick? On and on it goes. That puts immense pressure on, a, on an individual. For sure. Uh, to the role of the yeah, well, community cause, foundation? Because yeah, sure. I want you to spotlight the, the foundation's work in this. And this is, this is a great vital signs report that you do, but the foundation's been uh, intricately involved in identifying problems and looking for root solutions here in this community sure. for a long time now. So let me start by acknowledging the work of our partnership. So the, this, this really is a, a partnership that uh, extends well beyond the confines of the Community Foundation. Uh, the Public Health Department, Dr. Richardson's team have been extraordinary partners. This is not original data. It's from a range of different sources. But what we do is, is vet it and synthesize it with subject experts. Uh, our role is to identify the, the, the 
challenging issues to Hamilton's trajectory across the board and to use the $200 million endowment that we have been lucky enough to have received since 1954 to try and make a difference. And oftentimes that is in partnership with different folks. And and one of the neat stories this year, I'll, I'll signal out one specific donor group, Green Shield Canada, uh, who have a large footprint nationally but also have a presence locally through a pharmacist named Marita Zafiro who happened to sit on our board injected a million dollars into six foundations across the country, Hamilton being one. Half of that money has gone to partnerships with public health around mental health early interventions. And uh, I can't say enough about when you're able to take a single dollar, philanthropic dollar, and leverage it with other supports from government and business, you can make a profound difference when you're looking at the evidence and, and working collaboratively. And I think that's what we're trying to do. Well, it's obviously going to take take a community to, to resolve some of these problems. For and, sure. And, and to have this data is extremely important to do that. Uh, when we talk about substance abuse, Doctor, invariably, I think we, the first image we get conjured up is, is, like you say, opioids, because it's in the news. I mean, we almost hear daily now stories about this. But there, this is not a new issue, a substance abuse. And the two longstanding issues that we've always talked about, and you've addressed them many times in the program, uh, alcohol and tobacco uh, consumption. And I, and I don't want to say abuse, because even if, if, if you're touching tobacco at all, it's abuse. Mm-hmm. Uh, but alcohol consumption has been an ongoing concern, too. What's this report tell you about that? Well, the good news is, of course, the tobacco front, where we've mm-hmm. continued to see rates drop. And we now have you know, a huge majority of kids who have never tried smoking, who don't intend to start smoking. And that is just great news. Mm-hmm. Of course, the concerning thing on that front is about vaping. And so we are, you know, definitely concerned about that. We're concerned about what we're seeing primarily out of the United States around, you know, we now have a thousand people who've become ill with vaping related illness, 18 deaths. And we've now had uh, two cases in in Canada related to that. So that's a big concern. So absolutely, we're saying, please don't use vapes. Um, You know, some people are using them as a smoking cessation tool, and we know that that's a valid use for them. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you have to use them, make sure you're getting them from a place that, um, you know, is a... Uh, a retail distributor not getting it from your friends or not making up things to put in it or that sort of thing making sure that it's well supplied but uh, from a tobacco standpoint great impacts and we certainly expect to see the impacts in terms of rates of cancer heart disease you know respiratory disease over the coming years as a result alcohol is one of our greatest concerns Mm -hmm. and it's a tough one you know we often get accused of being a bit of the killjoys in public health because we talk about the the downside of Mm -hmm. these things and and, you know, when we're talking about any of those legal substances like cannabis, like alcohol, our emphasis on using them safely. We have 3,000 people who uh, visit emergency departments related to alcohol every year. We have 900 hospitalizations from things, you know, mostly related to un- injuries such as traffic accidents and that sort of thing. Um, but we are really emphasizing that safe use. We have 48% of people who are using alcohol above the low-risk drinking guidelines. That's a big concern. You know, looking at your use, how can you use safely, bring that use down, make sure, you know, if you're using cannabis, using it with other people, and delaying first use. It's really hard amongst our teens. Again, we're back Mm -hmm. to our teens. When we're talking about cannabis, we're talking about alcohol. Their brains are developing well into their early 20s, and if they're using substances, then they're damaging their brains permanently and not reaching their full potential. So we're really encouraging use to be delayed until after they're about 25. Terry, some of the previous reports that uh, the foundation has sponsored uh, through Vital Signs, we found that uh, some of those numbers that the doctor's referring to are, are, are tied to income levels. I mean, it's oh, just, without a doubt. And, and, and that's something that you've 
signaled years now, and uh, uh, and it, it's a troubling factor, but uh, it's something that needs to, to to be addressed. I think when we look at this, yeah, if I have, and, an and it's not an inner city problem; it's it's a Hamilton problem. No, it, it it's a broadly based. It it is across the spectrum, but let's face it: uh, Canadian cities, which historically. I think have outperformed our counterparts, especially south of the border, on a whole bunch of different measures. Increasingly, are looking at at pictures of segregated poverty and segregated affluence. That's not good for social capital. It's not good for the way in which we function. It's not good from a planning standpoint, and it certainly isn't good when you look at educational and health outcomes. and And I think we need to be thinking about that. So that's an issue that isn't solely in the purview of a foundation or the medical officer of health, but it's certainly the responsibility of city councils and provincial governments when they look at health and housing policy. And if I can come back to the addictions and mental health for a minute, we are at a critical pivot point in the future of healthcare in this community and this province. And one of the things that I'm heartened by that I would actually ask uh, Elizabeth Richardson to talk about is the prominence given to early intervention and to uh, addictions and mental health in the planning around the new Ontario health team as it relates to services and delivery and integration in this community. Because I think that it's a unique opportunity and we need to get it right. Well, the government, the provincial government, that is, doctor, has signaled that there's going to be major change here, and and, uh, that's got a lot of us antsy, and I think justifiably so, and we've talked about that at great length on the program. But I guess if you want to use the the glasses-half-full approach, it's an opportunity to to revamp and, and to, to retool and, and perhaps even improve the, the delivery of health care. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we know we've got an issue in terms of our health system in Ontario, and so there needs to be some changes. And abs- we've in the community been working together for several years. Terry had chaired a committee uh, before that called the Community Health Working Group that was mm-hmm. looking at how we could better integrate. We've been doing that for a few years. We've been working as Hale, the Anchor mm-hmm. Institution Leadership Group, about how could we make a difference. And so absolutely the leaders in the health system and the community agencies across uh, Hamilton have come together to talk about how can we better integrate, how can we better um, support people in their in their needs as they're uh, they're living them out here in Hamilton. So the focus is on three different things. One is about people who have complex medical needs, so especially seniors. What can we do to support them? This and the other two populations are again mental health adults and mental health in uh, and addictions in children. And so the opportunities to come together and build off the great work that has already been going on and look at how we can move forward and we're looking on three different levels one is how can we intervene earlier and this Mm -hmm. is the piece that terry just talked about we've been talking about this again for 20 years in the early years uh, group what was best start before them how can we help support parents earlier in terms of parenting and the needs they have but also detect issues when they're going awry earlier and so Mm -hmm. there's been a a huge focus on that we'll continue to do that we're also looking at how can people transition from hospital to home better um, and have community supports in place and for kids as well part of the challenge is that on the mental health and addictions front is there's kind of two systems there's the children's system and the adult system so they're really looking at how can we integrate there too and then the other is the piece about geographic areas in the city are there parts of the city where we need to collaborate better to support people and uh, we'll be working on that too mm-hmm. oh, got a couple of minutes left and we i want to go back to addictions for a second because there's another part of this that's covered uh in the report here that uh, that i think is enlightening and maybe something that kind of goes under the radar a little bit uh and that's computer use 
Uh, addiction <laughs> to computers. Uh, those numbers are on the increase, and that's not a good sign. Yeah, those are on the increase. And, you know, we've known for a long time from the standpoint of physical activity and healthy lifestyles, sure. eating well, that screen time is not a good thing, and we need mm-hmm. to limit that in any given day. And you see a surprising number of people who are, particularly youth, who are on social media more than five hours a day, who are on some sort of screen device, you know, more than five hours a day. We don't have a lot of research around that issue now, but it's absolutely one that's been concerning us on a number of different fronts. And we know the, there's sort of emerging ideas around addiction to gaming, addi- addiction to social media, and those sorts of things. And so, again, it's one of those fronts where doing that kind of thing for five hours a day isn't good on any yeah. front. Um, you know, in fact, my, my now 21-year-old son came home after starting computer science at university and said, Mom, do you know how unhealthy it is to sit in front of a ske- screen in a dark room by yourself all day? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, great, good for you, yeah. you know, and he's, he's made that change. What a re- revelation. <laughs> so we don't need to wait for the studies to say that's not how we should be spending our time all day. We need to have connections. Social connection mm-hmm. is, you know, one of the absolute keys to good mental health. And, and it's, it's like I say, it's not a news story, but one that we don't often talk about. And it's uh, we used to look at it from that realm that, well, you should be outside running around and getting air, phys- which is true. You still should be doing that. But there are some physical uh, problems when you stay running the screen all the time. And we do it all the time at work anyway. And, you know, I, I, I like to be able to get up and walk away once, once an hour here just to kind of get my face off that for a little bit. Not everybody else has that luxury, and it can have a negative impact on you, even the, the light from the screen. Uh, physical problems, psychological problems, it's, it's all related, isn't it? That's right. That's right. Uh, it's a fabulous report, very insightful report. I assume it's on the webpage there? It's all over the webpage. Obviously, uh, shout out to Steve Buse, Paul Burton, the folks in the Hamilton Spectator. We're hosting a big event there tonight. Uh, if you'd like to join us, Dr. Richardson and other practitioners will be on the panel to answer questions and have a dialogue. Uh, just call ahead and register if you can because we're approaching being sold out, but I think there are a few seats left. Uh, CBC Hamilton has covered it extensively, but obviously if you go to the Hamilton Community Foundation website, uh, you will find all of the data, the backdrop, the methodology, and uh, you'll also find some ways in which we would encourage folks to get in- involved because really at the end of the day, this is about how do you engage a community and call forth the best efforts from everybody, whether you're a medical expert, uh, the, an elected official, or frankly a citizen who cares and wants to make a difference. Okay, so with that limited time you're going to be on your computer, make sure you go to that webpage and get all that information. It's called Vital Signs, a Reflection of Hamilton. Uh, Terry Cook, Dr. Elizabeth Richardson, thanks so much for being here, and thanks for the great work that you're both doing and your organizations. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Bill. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.